0: Hi, I'm Reed Huberman, and I'm the lead pastor of Soma Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and this is our podcast. We hope it fills your heart with the love of Christ and fuels your day with hope. Here's today's message. John 13, and it says this, and we're starting in verse 1, and it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. Now, what you should know is that this takes place at the Passover meal. That's what the evening meal is. So maybe you conjure up this image of like Da Vinci's painting of Jesus at the center of this really super long table, which by the way, they didn't even set at tables back then. Um, And then on either side of Jesus, was his disciples, and you know, you got dark little Judas somewhere in the mix uh, uh, because he's about to go betray Jesus. So this is right before Jesus is crucified. They're celebrating the Passover meal. Jesus just got done saying, this is my body, and this is my blood. Take, eat, and drink in remembrance of me. So this is what just happened. And, and, And then it says this, and all of these details are vitally important, and we'll come back to some of them. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So this is what happens. You should know. This is right after the Passover meal. Judas knows that he's going to betray Jesus. This is what happens in that context. Jesus knew that the Father, and this is verse 3, had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and he wrapped himself in a towel. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And as you know, and we'll see it here in just a second, what Jesus is about to do is he is about to wash his disciples' feet. One of the the culminating acts of Jesus' ministry was the cross and, of course, the resurrection. Prior to that, he does one magnificent symbol prior to going to the cross to try to illustrate to each and every one of his disciples, this is what I'm about to do. And by the way, Jesus would consistently tell them, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. And, and this is what's going to happen. And his disciples would be like, yeah, sure, Jesus, that's a good one. Anyway, so when are we going to kill the Romans? Uh, so he, he had this very different idea of, of helping than, than his disciples did. And so Jesus does this extraordinary act. Now, here's why this is extraordinary. Washing people's feet was not extraordinary for the time. In fact, it happened very often. If you would come for a dinner party or come to uh, uh, someone's house um, for any type of party, what would typically happen is two things. is First of all, you would be greeted with a kiss. Now... For some of you who have really sharp beards or don't shave very often, we thank God that you're not going around kissing us, um, unless your wife likes that kind of thing, of course. Uh, but what they would do back then is even the men would kiss one another, but you think maybe of European culture is that kind of thing. You'd be greeted with a kiss first and foremost. Second of all, the next thing that would happen is that the man of the house, the host, would then um, get his servant or his, uh, his worker in the house to come and wash uh, the people who were coming to the house wash their feet. Because back then they had open-toed shoes, sandals, and their, and their feet were usually very dirty. And it wasn't just to keep their floors clean like we do, take your shoes off before you come. No, it was, it was as, a, as a courtesy to them because they knew that they probably had dirty feet and they didn't want them to feel self-conscious about it. So they would, they would get their servant to come and wash their feet the moment they, they came into the house. Now, what is incredibly extraordinary about what Jesus does right here in this story is this is that the host would never, ever wash the the, the people's feet. It was seen as something that was too low an act for the host of a house, who was generally a wealthy man, or at least somebody who had enough money to own their own place. No, they would get the servant to come, and then the servant would come and wash uh, the people's feet, and then he would go back to doing other various things and working around the house. But it would never be the host. And so when Jesus does this, it's incredibly different. And it's extraordinary because he was the host of this dinner. In fact, he was the king of glory. He was God himself here on this earth. And yet, he bent down to wash his disciples' feet. As we jump into this message today, um, Jesus says this really powerful thing. He says this, to try to redefine what success truly looks like for his disciples. And by the way, um, Jesus did this very often with many things. He would go around saying stuff like this, you have heard it said, but I'm gonna say to you. Jesus was very countercultural. He didn't just go with the flow. And so he said this, you guys are used to this paradigm, and by the way, we are today too. You're used to the CEO, or the richest person, or the person who has the most degrees, or, or that kind of thing, you're used to that person leading. You're used to that person telling people what to do, but I wanna tell you, I wanna tell you something radical. I wanna tell you something extraordinary, that that's not the way it happens in the kingdom of God. That's not the way it's supposed to happen for Christians, in other words. He said this, that you're used to the Gentiles or people who are non-Jews lording over you and ruling you and they're the ones who are great, but I want to tell you that the great people on this planet are not rulers, but servants. Maybe you think things like the first shall be last and the last shall be first that Jesus said. And, and, and even talking about John the Baptist where he said that there is no one born of woman that was greater than this man, but he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Think about all these things that Jesus said to just try to totally change our paradigm of what greatness and what success truly looks like here on this earth. And I don't know how you define success here this morning, but, but can we redefine it based upon, can I challenge each and every one of us, including myself, to redefine what true greatness looks like? And Jesus said this, he that is the greatest of all is servant of all. Now, we'll never do that, by the way. You can never serve everyone. There was one act that did that, and that's why Jesus is the greatest of all. He went to the cross and he died for everyone and served all mankind by dying on the cross for each and every person. For God so loved the world. So God served the world in that culminating act of, 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 of Jesus' ministry. But, but he says this, but, but if you want to be great, serve. Now, I can't help but ask this, this question that's a little bit controversial, not very much. If you know me, you know I don't ever like to challenge or be controversial. But, but here's what, what, what I think about when I see this. What would it look like if we came to our jobs and to our homes? What would it look like, of all places, if we came to church And we came to those places the way Jesus came to this earth. Again, he says this in Mark um, 10, 45. We'll get there in a second, but he says this. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve. What would it look like if we came with that kind of mentality? I think today... If I can just be sincere with each and every one of you guys, and I know this probably sounds cute, and it's not meant to be cute. It's meant to be from the bottom of my heart. I came this morning not with a message. I came with a mission. Is that all right? I came with a mission this morning to, to start something radical, to start something life-changing, to start something that will s- just swing the pendulum of your life in, an, in a totally different direction perhaps. I came this morning to start a servolution. I came this morning to to break down pedestals and to break down, especially as it pertains, because I see it so often in church, this this mentality of elevating the leaders to this great place of of honor. And Jesus himself refused some of the titles that were placed upon him because he knew that those titles were not coming from from what what really brings about those titles, which, which is this, that greatness can only be defined by serving. Greatness can only be defined by taking a knee like Jesus did here in this moment. So let's go a little bit further and just see what Jesus did exactly because we see that he takes off his robe and he puts on a towel and we'll talk about that here in a minute but, but starting in verse 13, going back to John 13, he says this, you call me Father and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example. Now here's the key, that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. You are blessed if you do them. You know, maybe you've got this idea of serving that may be similar to this kind of cheesy story I'm going to tell you. So there was this woman, and she passed away, um, and she went up to heaven, and she met Peter at the pearly gates, right? All those uh, 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 jokes typically have very bad theology. But anyway, so she goes to Peter. Peter is at the pearly gates, gonna welcome this woman in. And, he, um, and so he asked her a couple questions, and he looks at the book, and he says, okay, I just need to uh, make sure your name's in this book. And she's, okay, there you are. All right, great. Now, the only thing you have to do is you have to spell the name of the state that you're from. We just have to make sure that everything translated from this earth back to heaven, all right? And so she said, well, I'm from Ohio, of course, you know, the greatest state on the planet. Um, and so she said, O-H-I-O, you know. And he said, okay, great, 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 awesome. Now you can come to heaven. And he says, now, listen. I have got to use the bathroom. You know, I've been here all day. Uh, this is a pretty tireless thing. Um, so would you just, would you take over the gates for me for just a minute? And, and would you mind just serving in this capacity and letting people in? You know, just do that same thing. Ask them that question about the state where they're from. And, and then you can let them, uh, let them come in. And so she's doing that for a little bit. And it, and it only passes like what seems like five minutes. And then all of a sudden, through the line of people that are coming in through the pearly gates, she sees her husband. And she says, oh, Ralph, it's so good to see you. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I just got here. What happened? You know, I, I, you know, we, I was in the hospital for a while, but I didn't expect that you would be here so soon. And he said, well, um, uh, you know, after uh, you died, um, I, you know, it took me about 10 years finally to get back here. And she said, wow, well, time just passes totally different when you're in heaven. Um, and she said so so what have you been doing through for these past ten years you know we had been married for so long I you know were you able to um, you know piece your life back together after my death and actually the husband said well actually yes you know it took me about two or three months but then this really beautiful much younger woman than yourself um, she kind of came along and 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 then we got married and it was so awesome and I was married to her up until the day that I died um, in fact shortly after that our marriage I, I, I won the lottery and and, and we we actually became multimillionaires, and we spent the rest of those 10 years just living it up. You know, I bought a yacht, and we went to different islands, and we just enjoyed ourselves, and it was so amazing. Um, and as you could probably imagine, the, the wife's face just slowly got uh, uglier and nastier and nastier, and then that fra- uh, happiness that was on her face began to diminish, and, she, uh, and then she uh, finally says, Well, that's very good. So glad to hear it. Um, and she said, so, and then the husband said, so, yeah, it didn't take me long to get over you, but thank you for asking, and, uh, and then he said, well, so now we can, you know, enjoy eternity together, and she said, oh, yeah, 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 but there's just one other thing. You just have to spell something to get in here, and, and then the husband said, okay, yeah, what do I have to spell, and he said, "Uh, Czechoslovakia, (laughs) but some of us have this idea of serving that's somewhat like that, like, we'll serve if it if it benefits us, or if it matches our narrative of what serving truly looks like. But Jesus had a vastly different idea of serving. And I want to share two things with you today that I truly believe, if applied to your life, if practiced, will not only start a servolution in your heart, but can possibly start a servolution in our city. And of course, you know, the idea here is that we're, we're, we're starting a revolution, but we're going to start a revolution vastly differently. We're going to start a revolution whose, whose cornerstone is serving. And, giving. and so here's what I, if we're going to do this, if we're going to follow Jesus' command to do what he told us to do, you're blessed if you do them. If we want this blessed life, we got to get back to the place where we ask ourselves, okay, so do what, Jesus? Because I genuinely don't think that Jesus was literally saying, go around washing everyone's feet. Because that was a cultural thing for them. It's not a cultural thing for us. Could you imagine? Hey, I want to serve you. Take your shoes off. Uh, this is getting kind of weird, buddy. Uh, I don't know what kind of church you go to, but so so obviously, we don't have a problem with washing feet. In fact, back in November, some of you who are here today and uh and uh, uh, some of you, if you decide to make Soma Church your home, you'll get the opportunity to do this in the future or at least help with this outreach. Um, we do wash feet. We, just uh, back in November, we washed um, over 100 people's feet. So over 200 feet from residents of City Gospel Mission, men, women, and children. And then after we wash their feet, we fit them with brand new socks and a brand new pair of shoes because we believe in serving the way Jesus taught us to serve. But I literally don't think Jesus was saying, go around and wash people's feet. What I think he was saying is is he was saying, take the ultimate act of serving and do that. So in other words, he was using it as an illustration to say, I'm doing something and I want you to, to follow in my footsteps here and I want you to do the same thing. So the first thing that I think Jesus was doing, I think can be symbolized in the fact that he dropped his robe. And you don't have to go back there, but just simply, um, it says that he removed his outer clothing. He took off his robe. What you should know about that robe to understand exactly what's going on here is that That robe was something that was very expensive. In fact, when the Roman soldiers crucified Jesus, uh, they had um, the ability to take any of his possessions that were on him. But the one thing that they gambled for was that outer robe. And the reason they gambled for it, and if you see it in, in the story, it's because it was woven into one piece. So in other words, it wasn't patchwork. In fact, the robe was probably very costly and very expensive. So that's why they're gambling for it. So this robe was something that signified Jesus' status, not only because it was very expensive, because most people didn't have multiple change of clothes like we do in this day and age. So this is the robe that Jesus wore when he walked on the seas of Galilee. This is the robe that Jesus wore when he broke that bread and those, and those fish and he made just a couple turn into thousands This is the robe when he went to Lazarus' tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. So much like we do today, not only is clothing a status symbol for us, but like when you go to Planet Hollywood or any of those places like that, you see the, the Terminator jacket or something like that. So this robe was associated with a great person. And so when he's taking his robe off, he's saying, I'm taking off every status symbol, everything that signifies who I, I am here on this earth to each and every one of you, and I want to give you a new symbol. I want to give you, oh, come on, I hope you get this. I want to give you a new way of defining who I am. And throw up that Mark ten forty five scripture verse, because I want you guys to see this. This is what it says. It says, for even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but or to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So you see, the way Jesus came to this earth was not to be recognized only as God, but also to serve us to the ultimate extent and to give himself fully and completely to us. Can I ask you this question? And this is for everybody. This is whether you're a Christian or not a Christian or wherever you may be in your journey here today. If we were to strip you down, no, not literally because nobody wants that, uh, but if we were to just get down to the core of who you are, if we were to just, just if you were able to define yourself, say, when I look in the mirror, this is who I want to be known as. What, what do you say? Wh- what is that to you? What does that look like for you? And can I just tell you that the way Jesus wanted to be known was as a servant. When you, when you strip Jesus down to the bare essentials Yes, he's God, but he wanted to show you a different kind of God, a God that was willing to take a knee, to take out his, off his outer garment and, and to pick up a towel. He wanted to be known as a servant. But when I think about my life, when I think about the legacy I can leave for my children, when I think about the, 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 the way I wanna live my life and the things that probably I'll be most proud of when I take my last breath here on this earth, I think the things that I will look back and be glad I did were those moments where I was like Jesus and I served. If you've ever had somebody do something just incredibly special for you, then you know what this feels like. It's somebody who just did something that blew you away Maybe they, they paid for a meal, or maybe they um, let you stay in their house when you were going through hard times, or, or maybe they did something extraordinary. Maybe, um, and I've heard this before, I'm sure this is probably not true of anybody in here today, but, but maybe you were homeless and somebody came by and said, you're not going to be homeless tonight. Extraordinary acts of, of serving that just blow you away. This is why we serve, because we believe and have seen what serving has done in our life when God has done it for us, and now we want to we do it for other people. But it's interesting, because often it's not the way that we are, if we're to be completely honest this morning. We don't often value service the way that, that God does in fact, I think more often than not, we buy into the cultural idea that the more money you have and the more possessions you have, the greater off you are. Now, I don't have a problem with that, and believe me, I wish I had more. Um, but, um, but we shouldn't just identify with the culture that says possessions and um, notoriety and feeling successful with your occupation, that that's true success. So we, we buy into this paradigm, if you will, that power plus prestige equals success. But can I just challenge that notion today? And can we throw away this American idea completely that that's truly where success lies? And can I just encourage you to, to buy into a new paradigm? A new paradigm that says that you don't keep your life for yourself, that sacrifice and servanthood equals success. I don't know how that sets with some of you here this morning. And I don't even know if you know what that looks like for you. And hopefully we'll try to flesh it out. But, but, but at least you, you know this idea of what serving truly looks like and, and how countercultural it is for somebody to not only take care of themselves, but to take care of others in extraordinary ways. And again, we'll get to what that looks like maybe for some of you guys. But you should know that this is the way the disciples were too, much like we are in our present day and age. Is, um, so at the Passover meal, you guys probably remember this story if you've ever seen an Easter play or anything like that. I love this scene because they just got done arguing with one another. And this is what they do. Um, Jesus says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Now, they think they're so awesome that they don't even know if it's them, because Peter's like, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I? All around their table, they're like, is he talking about me? Could it be me that does this? And they're saying that, and John probably leans over, because this is what happens next, is it says they fight about who's the greatest among them. Isn't that weird? So they're there, and they're talking about Jesus, and Jesus is talking about the cross, and all of a sudden, they break out into a fight about who's the coolest, and so I, I imagine maybe something like this. They're like, is it I, Lord? Is it I? And John probably leans over to Peter, and he's like, yeah, it's probably you, dude, because, I mean, you're a pretty brash fella. And then Peter's like, who are you, John? I mean, what have you done? Look at me. I walked on water. And he said, yeah. And John probably said back to him, yeah, but I'm the one that Jesus loves. I mean, I'm the one that's got the seat right next to him here at the table. Take that, Peter. Peter. And then Bartholomew probably pipes in, and he's like, well, both of you guys are kind of messed up. I mean, yeah, you walked on water, Peter, but you sank. I mean, maybe you don't remember that. And then Peter says, oh, nobody even knows what you did, Bartholomew. And then Thomas pipes in, of course, I'm sure, and says, well, I doubt that it's any of you, because I doubt that any of you would ever truly uh, be Jesus' favorite when, of course, you guys know it's me. And And then probably the whole team turns, you doubt everything, Thomas. But they're fighting there about who is the greatest among them. And then it's when it's that, that moment Jesus pushes away from the table. And he takes off his outer garment and he kneels down to wash their feet. Do you think of anything more powerful in that moment where he's talking about serving them to the ultimate degree and where they're fighting about who's the greatest among them to, to kneel down and to serve? So this is why we serve. Look at Romans 5.8. I love this verse of scripture, and it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is where I want to finally get to the point. So, what does it mean to truly drop your robe? Like, because you guys don't have robes. So, what are we going to drop here this morning? Um, and throw up this next slide. This is what I think God is asking us to drop. That verse of scripture shows us this, if anything, that we need to drop our entitlement. You know what we deserved? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We don't don't deserve anything but punishment. And I know we don't hear about this much in church anymore. Because we want to leave you with an encouraging message, and hopefully this is an encouraging message. But I do have to take a side note here and just say this. The cross, if it teaches us anything, it teaches us two things. The first thing it teaches us is this, is that we deserved punishment. You know what you're entitled to? You're entitled to punishment. That's what we believe as Christians, is that we may not always be the most worst people on the planet, and we may be able to point to somebody else who's worse than us, but as a Christian, we have to come to this recognition that what we actually deserved was punishment. And because God's a just God, God has to punish but the great thing about God is he's not just a just God, he's a loving God. And I know some of you are thinking to yourself, well, come on, Reed, how does this punishment thing work out with a loving God? Well, it works out incredibly well, actually. Because when you realize that that's what you deserve, and then you realize that the second thing comes along, that Jesus stood in the way of the bus when you were walking down the street. And then, then when you realize that you deserve the bus and that Jesus took the bus for you, you realize even more how much he loves you. It's the gospel message. You deserve punishment, but Jesus took the punishment for you. If you miss the punishment, you miss the goodness of the good news. The greatness of the good news is that that's what we should have had, but God gave us something else instead. He gave us freedom and life and hope, when what we actually deserved is punishment. That's the epitome of the, while we were yet sinners. So here's the great thing about this whole bus analogy thing too. So I I don't wanna be crass here this morning, but I'm gonna go ahead and just like, this is the vision I get in my head as I think about this. The Bible also says this, that many people might die for somebody they love, but nobody ever dies for somebody they hate or somebody that hates them. So, So he gives this analogy of like, So it's not just that like the old woman's crossing the street and that Jesus pushes her out of the way so that he can take the bus himself. It's that that old woman, if we want to keep with that old woman, just flicked Jesus off um, and then yells at him and then steps out in front of the bus. And then Jesus pushes her out anyway. So it's the analogy kind of of where we were at. We had zero to offer him. We didn't have any great, great righteous deeds that we could just say, look at all the awesomeness that I am, God. Look how great I am, Jesus. We had nothing to offer him while we were yet sinners. By the way, the tail end of that verse just says this, that, that very few people would ever die for an unrighteous person. And the whole point of that scripture verse is this, is that that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. When we had nothing to offer him, and we deserved nothing. God gave his everything for each and every one of us. So if we're going to drop our entitlement, I think the one thing we need more than anything is, is if we're going to drop entitlement, we got to pick up gratitude. And I believe that that will spark a servolution in our heart. If we understand daily that we're not entitled to anything. In fact, if I can just get really real here for a moment for each and every, with each and every one of you guys and just say, that I attended the funeral yesterday of a 10-year-old little girl who passed away. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if I would have the strength to do this. And i got to be honest with you, even as a preacher, I was convicted by the strength of the parents who are going through this difficult time. Which, by the way, I should also mention was was helped by a great, great family of people who came alongside of them and, and helped them during this time. But I think, I thought in that service yesterday, one of the only ways that we can ever deal with something that hard and something that difficult, no parent should ever have to lose their child, is to remember that every single day on this earth is a gift, that even we're not entitled till tomorrow. If we understand that, then I think that we'll take life and it will totally change our perception of it and it will totally change our understanding of who we are and what life is all about if we can drop our entitlement. Jesus had every right to wear that robe as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but he said this, I don't want to just remain a king. I want to come and be with you and I want to serve you. And so I'm not just going to remain on my throne. I'm coming down to this earth. That's the beauty of Christianity. I remember one time that I was speaking to a Muslim girl, and uh, it's actually um, a young white girl who converted to Islam, and I just thought that it was an extraordinary uh, thing, because you you often don't see that. Um, It's typically a very cultural religion, and it's a Middle Eastern religion, and so um, when when you see that, I I was just intrigued, and so I started asking her questions. And then I finally just asked one last question, and I don't know how it will sit with you, but I'll just tell you how it sat with me. The last question I asked her is, when you ask forgiveness of Allah, um, how does that work? Like, what do you guys believe about redemption and forgiveness? And this is what she told me, and it broke my heart when she said it, uh, to the point where I didn't really ask her any other questions, because I was really, really hurt, like, in my heart. Um, She said this. She said that, well, we just beg Allah for forgiveness, and we promise him that we'll never do it again, and we hope that he forgives us. And I thought to myself, boy... That's a tough way to do life. Promise God you'll never do it again and just beg for forgiveness. But that's not what Jesus planned. That's not what Jesus offered. He offered something vastly different. He offered forgiveness in spite of who we are. He offered forgiveness to us when we don't always do the right thing. And if anything that should bring in our heart a sense of gratitude. Now, I don't have time to get into the story, but I would love to this morning. But I want to let you guys go in just a little bit. But, but here's this thing. If you need to pick up gratitude this morning, let me remind you of a story. Um, Jesus goes into Simon's house, and they're all enjoying a nice party, and then this woman busts into the party, and she breaks open a box and begins to wash Jesus' feet and and begins to cry so desperately because of what Jesus has done in her life, And, and she washes his feet with her hair and with her tears and with perfume. And then the people start to grumble about this. And in their mind, they start thinking, "Well, what, what is, why, are, why is this woman doing this? If, 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 if they knew who this woman was, Jesus wouldn't let this woman do this to her. And, and Jesus knows what's going on inside of their heart because he is Jesus after all. And he, says, he tells them a story about somebody who's been forgiven a huge debt. And then he says, this is why this woman is acting this way. This is why this woman is acting this way because she's incredibly grateful for the thing that I've done inside of her. And so now I'm bowing down, she's bowing down and she's washing my feet. This is a grateful act for a God who has done something amazing in her life. Sometimes I find that even as myself, as a mature Christian who's been doing this a while, and even as a pastor, and maybe you guys too, that we forget how good God has been to us. And and we forget, the beauty of the gospel story. But if we grabbed the hold of it, our act would be just like that woman. Some of us are so used to Jesus that we're like Simon and we're not washing Jesus' feet. We're just sitting back reclining and eating and popping grapes in our mouth. But we've forgotten our first love and what it was like to just know that Jesus loves us more than we could possibly imagine. For some of us, the greatest revelation that you'll ever get in your life was that first moment where you had nothing to offer God when you came to him and you asked for forgiveness and and you had zero righteous deeds to look back on and to say, look at all the great things I've done back there, God. And all you had was your sin and you gave it to God. That was the only thing you had to offer God. Sometimes that's the greatest revelation that we need to remember because it was there where we experienced the love that God truly has for each and every one of us. Some of you might see somebody in church on any given Sunday morning, and they're excited, and they're boisterous. And you're thinking to yourself, calm down, sister. Let me get the hose. And the reality is that she might have been forgiven something so big that you can't possibly imagine what she's celebrating because you don't know her backstory, You don't know what God's done in her life. Sometimes we're just like this. Well, I don't have any makeup, and it's cold outside, and my hair needs to be curled. So I'm not going to church today, and I don't know if I feel like walking through that cold parking lot, and there's snow on the ground. And, and sometimes we get like that. But if we pick up gratitude, I think we act like that woman, and we say, you know what, I'll take this expensive perfume, and I'll pour it on your feet. I'll, I'll take everything that I got, and I'll give it to you, Jesus. I believe if we're going to spark a revolution, we need gratitude. And I've got so much more to say about this next point, but I want to take this and just do it really, really quick. The next thing we're going to have to do is we're going to have to drop our entitlement and realize that that anything we get is a gift from God, and we're gracious to give it back to him. But the next thing we're going to have to do is if we're going to drop our robes like Jesus did and, and drop our entitlement, we're going to have to pick up something in its place. And here's what I want to tell you, and I want to do this super quick, and it almost doesn't do it justice, but, but you're going to have to pick up love. Grab a hold of gratitude and then pick up love, because when Jesus picked up that towel, that's essentially what he was doing. He was, he was showing them a love like they had never known. And what you should know is he's also symbolizing what he's about to do for them on the cross, the greatest act ever. It, it, because, and the way you know this is this, is that, is that Peter says, Hey, don't wash my feet. You're too big and too awesome for this, God. You can't do that. My feet are disgusting. And by the way, you should know back then uh, that most people's mode of transportation was their feet or camels or some type of animal. And by the way, just like now, it was back then, camels didn't have porta-potties. Camels didn't have bathrooms. Guess where they went? Right wherever they were. And so you can imagine how disgusting and dirty these disciples' feet were. And, and, and it's dust, and it's muck, and it's mud, and it's feces, even all over these guys' feet. And Peter's like, don't do that. You're too good for that, God. Don't wash my feet. And then Jesus responds to him, and he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And then Peter's smart. He's ding, ding, ding. He's like, All right. If that's the way it is, Jesus, then wash my head, wash my toes, wash my ankles, wash, wash everything, because I want you. And so what Jesus is saying here is that I'm illustrating what I'm about to do for you on the cross. In other words, if you've got a problem with me touching the mud on your feet, you're going to have an issue with me touching the mud that's in your heart. You're going to have an issue with with recognizing the ultimate act of service on the cross and what I do for you there. And if you don't let me touch your mud now, then when this happens, you're going to be all wigged out because, because I'm just illustrating a small act of service for the greatest act of service. And so when he's saying, do what I do, he's saying, be grateful, but he's also saying, love other people. Love people. And here's the way we should love them. Just like that mud, Jesus, who could have snapped his fingers, called angels to come and wash their feet, could have just had them turn around and wash his feet. Jesus bends down and washes their feet. He bends down and washes their feet, saying this, that I'm willing to get dirty. I don't care what it takes to show you my love. So when we talk about love, what are we talking about? We're talking about the kind of love that Jesus Jesus showed. And here this verse illustrates it very well, 1 John 4.10. This is love. Not that we love God. It's very similar to that Romans verse. But that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So, it's, so this is the kind of love. It's not that, that, that we loved him and it's this mutual kind of love. It's like, the, again, the Romans 5.8 thing. While you were sinners... I, I loved you. When you didn't even love me, I loved you. That's what it's saying. Some an amazing love. So what is this love? It's, it's, it's not conditional love. It's not love because of. And if some of you are married, you know this well. There's days where you do not love your spouse because of what they're doing. Am I right? Can we get anybody to testify? Because there are some times where they do not do stuff that's lovable. Now, if you have kids, even more so. Sometimes you think to yourself, that person came from me, but I know they're like their mother. I mean, whatever, husband. Uh, I never say that to my wife. Um, <laughs> you should see my son walk. He walks just like my wife. Like, like, all right, let's tell everybody what to do up in this place. Anyway. Um, but, but you guys know this well, that there are times where the people that we love the most are very unloving. And a deep, deep love doesn't only love because of what they do, because they do the right things. The deepest kind of love is not a because of love. It's a in spite of love. I love you in spite of what you've done. I love you in spite of the way that you're acting. I love you in spite of the attitude you're giving me right now. I love you. It's unconditional love. That's the love that Jesus had for each and every one of us. And that's the love that he's asking us to share with our world, with the people who are closest to us, with the people who don't seem like they deserve love. And Isn't that where it gets radical? Because there are people who you think to yourself, when you do this timetable, this equation in your head, these people don't deserve love. They're doing this and they're doing that and they're doing that. Maybe you've done that before. But the kind of love that Jesus is trying to illustrate for us here today, and I believe if we're ever going to truly spark a servolution in our hearts, is with this kind of unconditional love. If we go to work on Monday with a grateful heart, not only will it help you find people to serve, but it will also turn your joy level to like 10, wherever you're at whatever you're doing, it'll change your joy level and take it up a couple of notches. Just think, if you didn't feel entitled to that parking place when that person pulls in in front of you, you just think to yourself, well, whatever, we'll go find the next one. It'll take your joy level to a whole new level. (laughs) Um, But it'll also spark something in your heart. You'll be grateful for everything that you've been given and you'll wanna give it to other people. And then if you grab a hold of this unconditional love, you, you'll find people who, who sometimes have dirty feet and you'll bend down and you'll be with them and he'll show you his love. So as we end our time here today, I just, wanna, I just wanna ask you this question. This kind of unconditional love that we talked about today, is it in your heart? Do you know that unconditional love of Jesus? Have you seen the love of Christ revolutionize your life. Here at Soma Church, and I hope you hear my heart on this because this is not prepared statement stuff. Jesus is not just a religion. He's not just a good option. He's not just a religious figure. He's not just a good teacher. He's the God who doesn't care about a throne because he loves his people more than anything else. And he wants to be with you. He wants to meet you in your mud and he wants to help you. He wants to pour water on it and he wants to cleanse you and he wants to make you whole. You might say, Reed, well, you don't know my warts. You don't know my wounds. You don't know my backstory. You're right, I don't. But I can definitively tell you that Jesus doesn't care about it. He cared so much about you that he took nails into his hands and to his feet. And I want you to consider today going beyond the religion, going beyond the story. And I want you to truly make a bold next step, and I want you to say, all right, I'm willing to follow this God who loved me to the max. For those of you who are here today, and maybe you would say you are a believer, then I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to grab a hold of the gratitude that will spark a servolution in your own heart, a personal servolution in your life. Where you go from feeling that you're owed anything to feeling like your whole life is an opportunity to share the great thing God has done in your life. If you're excited about what God's done in you, and if you're excited about any of the goodness that has been shown you or the blessings that have come into your life, can we get radical and can we start saying, it's time to share those things. It's time to start giving that love away and not, and not just keeping it for me and my family, but let's figure out a way that we can do even maybe something miraculous like what this serve team is doing and saying, let's figure out a way where we can give our time to do something that will impact the lives of other people. Even if I never get an accolade, a reward, a recognition. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. For more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our channel for past episodes. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating or even sharing it with friends. That would mean so much to us. For more content from Soma Church or to connect with us, go to soma-church.com. We love you and we can't wait to meet you.